0: Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So the question that I've been pondering is how do you lead forward after losing? I mean, how do you move forward when you have experienced massive loss? Maybe something has happened. Maybe your spouse has filed for divorce. Maybe you've lost a job because someone just didn't like you or wanted to spite you. Maybe a friendship has been lost because of something completely out of your control. A relationship has been damaged because of gossip or misunderstanding or even miscommunication. Let me ask you this question, and that is, is how do you become resilient when you're facing resentment? Here's something that I've learned over and over through some incredibly painful seasons of life. When things are falling apart for you, they're falling into place for God. When things are falling apart for you, they're falling into place for God. And again, I promise you that I've learned this through some incredibly painful seasons. I mean, think about it. Maybe this is you this morning because I've experienced some of these, not all of these, but have you ever had somebody just exit your life? They give you the cold shoulder. They ghost you. They block you. They won't speak to you. They just leave the relationship and don't even tell you that they're leaving. It happens all the time as a pastor. It happens all the time as a pastor's wife. Somebody once said concerning ministry, but I think we could broaden it to your life as well, but they said ministry is a, lie, is a series of ungrieved losses. You see, in your life and in my life, I'm sure there have been times when you walked people through incredibly difficult situations. I know there's been times when you have given sacrificially, financially to people. You've given of your time. You've been over backwards for people. You've walked them through periods of intense suffering only for them six months later to say, I never felt loved by you. I never felt accepted by you and your family. Never been accepted at your church. Never been discipled by you people. Just never felt loved by you. Ever had people just sell you out, use your words against you, use what you knew was something from God against you? Let me ask the question yet again, is there anybody in the room, and please, you don't have to raise your hands, anybody that's battling resentment this morning? You see, here's another truth that I have learned and that I'm really continuing to gain awareness of. And that is this, if you try to do life or ministry while you are resentful, it will leak on other people. Thinking about this over the past three years, I've learned that resentment is a whole lot like battery acid. It's going to burn you and whatever else it touches. There's no getting around it. You see, while we may be resentful towards others, there's also a common thing that many people are just resentful toward God. Let me tell you something. Resentment towards other people will absolutely eat your lunch. But resentment toward God will destroy your soul. If resentment is under the hood of your your heart this morning, if if you lift up the hood of your heart, if resentment is there and it's fueling your disposition, I want you to know that the Lord has something to say this morning. So, So how do you battle this? How do you deal with resentment? How do you move forward When there's been massive failure, hurt, sadness, disappointment, you've been sinned so severely against. How do you how do you lead forward after such loss that left you so resentful? Believe in our souls, we have to know some things about God. And just because we know some things intellectually doesn't mean that we know them on an emotionally true heart level. Listen, people are going to leave. People are going to hurt you. People are going to disappoint you. You are going to feel it. But what if in that resentful season, what if God is really doing something in it? What if God is trying to do something through you, and he's driving you and I, in our time of resentment, what if he's driving us to prayer? What if he's driving us to purity? What if he's driving us toward people and to purpose? You see, what if resentment cannot exist, it can't live, it can't grow in a heart of prayer, purity, and a passion for people, and a purpose, See, I want to help us this morning know how to deal with resentment, to move ahead, to become resilient instead of resentful. And to do so, we're going to look at a very high level at the life of Joseph this morning. But I think we need a picture. It's such a difficult concept. It brings up so many varying emotions. I want us to think about a picture, and we're going to work from that picture today. God has given us this picture in Joseph's life. This morning, we're just going to get back to some basics. So like if something isn't working in your life or, or something hasn't really turned out the way you want it to, we just need to go back to the basics. So at the age of 17, Joseph is given a dream by the God of Abraham and Isaac. He's, he's given this dream. Here is the dream in Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 through 11. Just, just listen to these words. Genesis chapter 37, 5 through 11, the Bible says, then Joseph... He had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, what happened? <laughs> I mean, right out of the, the just resentment right there, they, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I've had, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf stood up and also remained standing, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more (laughs) for his dreams and his words. Then yet he had another dream and informed his brothers of it and said, behold, I've had yet another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He also told it to his father as well as to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've had? Am I and your mother and your brothers actually going to come to bow down to the ground before you? As his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Do do you see it here? I don't have time to go into a lot of depth, but do you see resentment building? You're going to need this picture that's going to come up on the screen Mommy. You're going to need this picture. And see, if you're going to move around and really come home... (laughs) And win over resentment, you've got to touch every single one of these bases. I'm just saying, you, 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 you can't get through resentment unless you go around the bases. We're going to look at, first of all, resetting my attitude in prayer. And then we're going to look at resisting the attacks with purity. And then we're going to look at reengaging in affection for people. And then eventually, we can be resentful of abounding with purpose. But let's start out with the first base. First base is so critical. Reset my attitude in prayer. You see, Joseph's been given this dream, this this vision, and as we read, it didn't go over so well. His brothers hated him, and their hatred of him, and fast forwarding a little bit of the story, led them to sell him to these slave traders. But before they did that, they, they said, let's throw him into a pit, and then they wanted to kill him. But one of the brothers said, let's not do that. So they threw him in this pit. And while they're eating, these slave traders headed down to Egypt came by and they sold him. So then Joseph is taken to Egypt by these slave traders. And he ends up in Egypt away from his family in a man named Potiphar's house. And what's interesting is he's stripped of everything he would depend on to make his dream now come true. I think maybe resentment started to build in his heart think about it he's sold by his brothers who had first wanted to kill him then he's lied about to his father they made up this story that these wild animals they attacked him and so they they got this animal and they cut it and they they take his robe that he was wearing and they dip it in the blood and then they go to their dad and they say look we're so sorry but this happened He's taken advantage of, and then then he's just silenced about his dream. Even his dad gets in on it and says, oh, whoa, whoa, hush this dream nonsense. But yet God is the one who is giving him this dream, and it's think about it as he's on his way. Now he's stripped of his family's name, he's stripped of his influence, and he's stripped of his affluence. You see, the dream that God gave him made sense of who he was In the moment but now everything has changed and so Joseph begins to probably think about how is this going to work out I mean what are you doing God why is this happening to me why is this happening now so in these moments it's possible that we become resentful even at God We become resentful at others for doing this to us. I mean, how can this be? How could God say this, but now allow this? How could my own family do this to me? How could people that say they care about me do this to me? And here are a few helpful thoughts. God-sized dreams require God-sized power. You can only fulfill God's purpose with God's power. So understand this, that most people don't grow. Most people don't go around the basis of resentment. They don't get through resentment, but continue to be stuck in it because they only know the world's way of dealing with it. And that is this. The world says that you move from dependence as a kid to independence as an adult. I mean, eventually, you've got to learn to feed yourself, right? I mean, that's what we got to do. And so the world teaches you to move from being dependent to being independent, but you see, spiritual growth happens exactly the opposite. You see, we start out as infants and children, independent from God, dead in our sin, and we now must become dependent on him. Here is the first place that dependence shows up in your life. It's prayer. You see, prayer is indispensable to dependence. Let me tell you what I've discovered in 30 years of pastoral ministry. Most people don't pray because they think they're independent. Success says that I don't really need God. I mean, if things are going okay, then God is just an additive. Prayer is just something I do. It's not something that's essential. Yet John 15, 5 says this. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, but apart from me, you can do You see, you can have enough success in ministry, you can have success in business, you can have success in family and sports and relationships, and really end up thinking you don't need God. And let me tell you, if you haven't learned to pray, you are a prime suspect for resentment. Because you are depending upon yourself. And when you're depending upon yourself, resentment can take root in your heart, and then you can even end up resenting the very God who may allow it to happen. Maybe maybe what God is doing when the dream gets crushed, when the disappointment happens, when the failure sets in, maybe this is God bringing you and I from an independent attitude to one of dependence in prayer. See, if I'm going to get around the bases, if I'm going to win with resentment, if I'm going to fulfill the dream, if I'm going to get through this, I have to reset my attitude in prayer. You see, Joseph depended on the Lord for everything as he's moving through this, because in Genesis 39 verses 2 and 3 says this, and the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord had made all that he did prosper in his hand. That story is repeated throughout Genesis 37 through 50, the story of Joseph. God blesses Joseph and causes him to have success. God gives him favor. Why? Because Joseph refuses to become resentful. It just continues to reset his attitude by being dependent upon God. Joseph chose to be resilient instead of resentful. His attitude developed through prayer and dependency upon God, which leads us now to second base we have to resist the attacks with purity you see joseph does well and his attitude is just different he becomes now the one that's in charge of potiphar's house and potiphar is the one that's in charge of the bodyguards for the king now the bible tells us that joseph was physically good looking and potiphar's wife was deeply attractive to Joseph and began repeatedly to beg him to have relations with her. And one day, she catches Joseph by his garment and pleads with him to have relationship with her, but he runs, and in doing so, he leaves behind his garment. She then raises a ruckus in the house and said that Joseph tried to force himself on her, and then Joseph now is thrown immediately into prison. So think about it. If his brother's rage and being thrown into a pit and left for dead, being sold to slave traders and taken to Egypt wasn't enough to crush his dream and to cause resentment, now he's actually falsely accused of raping somebody very, very important. And his reputation is completely destroyed. You ever ever been there? Here's a sad thing. There's nothing that he can do about it. He gets punished for something he did not do or even have control over. And I promise you, if you've lived long enough, that can make you resentful. See, when you're working on your attitude, you just need to know this is the spiritual reality You can count on it when you are working not to be resentful. The attacks are going to come like you have never seen in your life. Just when you think you're breaking through resentment, when you think you've gotten around first base, just when you think you've got momentum and you are doing well, the attacks are going to come. And how did Joseph fight the attacks? He fought them with purity. Joseph ran from sin. He didn't flirt with it. He didn't linger around thinking he was strong enough. He didn't hesitate. He just ran. The Bible says in Genesis 39, 12, so she grabbed him by his garment saying, sleep with me, but he left his garment in her hand. And what's that next word? And he fled and went outside. But you see, Joseph didn't make that decision in the moment because the verses just before that in Genesis 39, 9 say, there is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph had already made the decision he was going to be pure. Joseph wasn't going to resist any and all attacks. He was going to resist any and all attacks by remaining pure before his God. And the way he did that was to flee when those things came his way. He did not flirt with it. He didn't give an ear to gossip about it. He didn't give an ear to what other people thought about it. He just completely fled. 1 Corinthians 6.18 specifically says, flee Sexual immorality right it it says that but I've got a feeling that you and I may not be tempted sexually in times of resentment we may be tempted at any time James 4 7 says therefore then just submit therefore to God this is what purity is is when I just submit to God and resist the devil and what he'll flee from you That being said, and you need to hear me well, please hear me. When you resist and do the right thing, you're still going to face consequences. See, when you resist the attacks that are being unleashed and you think, if I just live pure, God's just going to make this all okay, I need you to know that is not how this works. Joseph resisted the attacks with purity but still got thrown into prison. There will be an all-out attack on you. There will be an all-out assault on you. If you don't fall for the temptation, watch this. If you don't fall for the temptation, the enemy will try to get you to sin and to get you to get angry at God by having you persecuted a little bit, by ruining your reputation, and by allowing you to be taken advantage of because that's what happened to Job. And the whole point is, if you didn't fall to the temptation, then you'll do something stupid once you're being punished for not falling for the temptation which could be another reason why we build resentment toward God and others. But you see, Joseph resisted the attacks and didn't give in. Listen, you need to know that in this battle against resentment, it is possible to be doing the right thing and end up being treated the wrong way. See, the Lord desires for you to do the right thing even when the people that you're resentful against aren't. He experienced nothing but cruel punishment and he never sinned once, the Bible referring to Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, a servant is not above his master. If I went through this, you're going to go through this. If Jesus himself was persecuted and unfairly punished because he did the right thing, what makes us think that we're going to be any different? Joseph honors the Lord, remains pure, and still ends up in prison. He could have been thinking, well, now surely my dream is over. I may as well just give up, and I might as well just be resentful, because look where trying to fight it has gotten me. When you are fighting resentment, I'm telling you, the attacks are going to come, and you've got to stay pure. But please get this. Most who come to faith, And when they discover how to grow in God, when we grow and learn in prayer and we pray, listen, what we begin to do when we first come to God is we first pray, God, change everyone and everything around me. You see, when my heart is full of resentment, I begin to pray, God, change them. God, change that. God, change this. God, fix this. God, fix them. But you see, you begin to grow spiritually and grow in the battle of resentment when you understand that God is not so much interested in changing them as he is about changing you. You see, it's not about what's happening around you. It's about what God wants to do within you. You see, purity says, Lord, change me. Purity says, Lord, keep me clean. I want to be holy if no one else is. Look into my heart, oh God. Heal my heart. Change my heart. Change my mind. Change my attitude. Change me, oh God. Let me tell you something that I've discovered. You cannot get around second base looking the way you did crossing first. If there hasn't been spiritual growth between first and second base where you learn to pray, God, it is not about the people that have hurt me. It's about me. If, If you aren't changing, and by the time you get through second base, if you haven't, you don't look different, you're never gonna get to third base. Here's what I've said with some different words. I have to know that when I'm battling resentment, what others have done or didn't do, when I get focused on that, when I get focused on what others have done or they haven't do, then the enemy will come and tempt me to do something stupid so that then I will resent myself and others will resent me. Thus, I'll resent God for allowing it to happen and then I will get caught in something with even greater consequences than what I was dealing with initially. Be on your guard about purity when you are battling resentment. So Joseph rounds second base, and we can too if we just fight the attacks with purity. But then thirdly, we re-engage in affection for people. You see, without my heart realizing that I needed to be changed, I will never be able to re-engage with the people that I'm resentful against because I still think they're the problem. When I reset my attitude in prayer and I resist these attacks for purity and I begin to say, God, work on me, something supernatural begins to take place. You see, the thing about resentment, and it's been true in my life when I've been resentful, it causes me to pull back from people. It causes me to to withdraw from people, to put distance between myself and people. But you see, now Joseph's in prison and he's thinking about how he got there. Again, it was people. People got him there. It was was his brothers. His brothers ended up putting there. It was Potiphar's wife. So Genesis 39, 20 says, "So, so Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. So stick with me as I drop something on you that might seem just a little confusing at first, but stay with me. You see, now Joseph is unnoticed. Before he was the favored guy, he was the wanted guy. Could it be that maybe when he was the favored one, he didn't really notice other people? Maybe now that he was in the prison with prisoners, he maybe realized how he had treated other people or even his own brothers. I mean, think about how his own brothers may have felt when he told them that one day they were going to bow down to him. In my study over the past three years of these passages in Genesis 37 through 50, I have a feeling that it was here on the floor in the prison that God transformed how Joseph really began to see people. It could be that here in this extremely hard, unfair, humbling place that Joseph's heart began to come alive with affection toward the very people that he resented. Listen. There is a tremendous lesson to be learned. When God puts you in the place of people you once dismissed. Tremendous lesson. When God puts you in the place of people you would have once readily dismissed. Here's what I know. Some of you in this room, maybe you're online, maybe you're listening by way of the radio, and you're maybe not in a literal prison, but you're in a figurative one. You've been unfairly treated. You've been falsely accused. You've experienced cruel punishment over something you didn't do or had control over, and you had no way of stopping. And listen, I can understand if you are resentful this morning. I understand how you can be there because I was there. At the same time, I think walking around first base, spending time in prayer helps. But also, man, can you learn how to pray in a prison? And as you push through doing the right things, listen to me. If you just stay focused on honoring the Lord, the Lord can work in your heart. And listen to me. Listen. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Other stuff gets added on you. And you begin to cry out, Lord, I can't take anymore. You begin to resent the Lord. You resent the people who put you there. You resent the others who started the whole journey. But in this moment, in this place, when you were in the prison and you're on your face, and you are being humbled like never before when you are put in the place where people are that you once dismissed or dejected or despised, listen, and you thought this could never happen to you, in that moment, there is a humbling of your heart, a softening of your heart, a deepening of compassion that God can do supernaturally. You see, in another blow in another place where resentment could have taken, Joseph is learning this, and now he's forgotten. You see, when Joseph is in prison, the king throws his chief cupbearer and his chief baker into prison, and, and they have these dreams, and so they turn to Joseph for the interpretation, and he tells them the meaning of the dreams. It's not good for the chief baker, because but, but, he gets hanged, but, but it's the chief cupbearer gets a good word, and, and so Joseph says, hey, listen, when you get out, just remember me. Well, he gets out in Genesis 40, 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. There it is again. Resentment, right? It's still lingering. So not only could he resent Potiphar's wife and Potiphar and his brothers, but now he could be resentful towards somebody who promised to help but didn't. How's my dream working out? How's my life now? This is insane. God, where are you? Why are you doing this? I hate this. I hate my life. I just hate it all. God, what is happening? But could it be in our deepest, darkest place that that's where we learn the value of people? Could it be here that we really learn, listen, what others are going through that made them resentful. And God begins to do a work of compassion in our heart to not react to their resentment, but to begin to care for their hearts. Because if my heart has been so hurt that I'm resentful, maybe their heart has been so hurt, that's why they did what they did that made me resentful. And God begins to break our hearts for people. Because now we're in the place of people that we would have once dismissed. You see, it's one thing to love God when things are good, but it's another to learn to love when things around us are really bad. And really, when we're in these prisons, I think this is fertile ground. This is where the brokenhearted find that the God of this universe plants the tender seeds of affection in our hearts, that he can remove the callousness of my heart. If I really have time to evaluate and assess and think about what's really important, I begin to realize that relationships are super important. But the change that needs to take place is still continually in my heart. My circumstances probably won't change, but my heart certainly can. And you get around third base winning over resentment when you can begin to re-engage with affection for people. See, I can't tell you when that happens. I can only tell you that it does. If you continue to pray, seeking the Lord desperately, crying out to him, if you will remain pure and steadfast in devotion, if you will continue to ask the Lord to help you love the people that you are resentful against, didn't Jesus say to pray for our enemies? You cannot pray for people you are resentful for and hold on to it for very long. I'm going to tell you, the Lord can do it. I want to give you hope. He can Yet it will take, I can't say this with English properly. If you want the Lord to get you through resentment, he's going to have to humble you like you've never experienced. It will require dying to yourself in ways you never thought imaginable. You will have to die to your wants. You will have to die to your thoughts, your desires, your feelings, your hopes, your dreams. You'll have to die. You will have to literally die if necessary. It's truly when we forget about ourselves and consider others more important than us, then the affection that God wants to give us for people can begin to happen. There's sup- something supernatural that takes place when we don't turn from the Lord in bitterness and anger and when we quit blaming others and when we get ourselves off of ourselves and get our eyes off of ourselves when the Lord begins to bring healing. We get to re-engage in affection for people, and we begin to feel our heart awakening to loving again, to initiating conversations, to thinking positively about people. And when this happens, you're rounding third base, and I promise you, home plate is right there in front of you. So listen, if I begin to reset my attitude, and I begin to resist these attacks with purity, and then I begin to have a re-engaging of affection for people, listen, then I can be resentful. full, not resentful, but I can be resent back to those people full of abounding purpose. Pharaoh now has a dream. <laughs> There's a vision of seven cows, some are thin and some are fat. The chief cupbearer now remembers that Joseph can interpret dreams, and Joseph is called on, and he tells Pharaoh that the cows stand for seven years of feast and seven years of famine, and Pharaoh's like, "Hey, we need somebody wise enough to help lead us through this." And so he says, "Hey, Joseph, I guess you're it." So Genesis chapter forty-one verses thirty-eight through forty-three. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, "Can we find a man like this in whom there's a divine spirit?" So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there's no one as discerning and wise as you are. You shall be in charge of my house and all my people shall be obedient to you. Only regarding the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I've placed you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garners of fine linen, and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed ahead of him, watch, here's the dream, bow the knee. And he placed him over the land of Egypt. This is the incredible kindness of God. He was able, Joseph was able to transform the economy of Egypt to save a ton of people from starvation. Basically, he helped Egypt to own everything and everyone in 14 years. He marries the priest of On's daughter. He has two children. Now, watch what happens when he's begin to reengage with affection for people. His heart has remained pure, and he's reset his mind in prayer. Watch what happens. He has this, this kid, and he names the child Manasseh. Do you know what Manasseh means? Manasseh means God has helped me to forget my suffering. And then then, can can God do that? Can can God take my resentful heart and make me forget the things that happened to me to make me be resentful? Yes, he can. And then he names his second child Ephraim. And that means God has made me fruitful in the land of suffering. Not only is God able to take away the pain, but he helps me to be fruitful in it. God could bring something good and fruitful and enjoyable out of the suffering that caused resentment in my heart. I'm telling you, he can. You see, as a side note, it's easy here to look at successful people, to look at people who look like they have it together and think they've never had to suffer. Please be careful. You see, now that Joseph is coming around and coming closer to home, now he's been re-sent full of abounding with purpose. He, he had experienced freedom and victory over resentment. He was now going to experience a dream, and it looked very differently than when he first received the dream. You know why? Because now God's given him the purpose for his dream. Did you see the glimpses of that back in verse 43 when, when Potiphar, I mean, uh, the Pharaoh says, listen, now everybody's going to bend their knee to you. Joseph... Joseph, God is bringing your dream to pass. So his brothers come to Egypt to get some food because the famine is so severe. And guess who they have to bow down to? (laughs) Now they have to bow down to their brother. He had every reason to be resentful and to withhold things from them. But he falls apart and begins to weep over them. He ends up feeding them and moves the entire family to Egypt so that he can provide for them. Why? Because he's reset his attitude in prayer. He's resisted the attacks with purity. He's re-engaged with affection for people. It's crazy. Now he is resentful with abounding purpose because listen, he's now realizing that the purpose of the dream was not to be over them, but to provide for them. He's able to now serve his family. He will be used to save his family. Fast forward the story. Joseph tells his brothers who come to go get their father and the rest of the family and move them to Egypt where he's going to provide for them. They eventually come and they settle and their father dies. Now, remember, they had never told their father the truth about what they did to uh, Joseph. They lied and said he was attacked by animals. But watch this. In Genesis 50, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers had seen their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back in full for the wrong which we did to him? They know he has a reason to be resentful. So they sent instructions to Joseph saying, here comes another lie. Your father commanded us before he died, saying, This is what you shall say to Joseph. Please forgive, I beg you, the offense of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the offense of your servants of the God of your father. And Joseph did what? He wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, What? We are your servants. Do you see it? That's the dream. They're now bowed down to him. They're acknowledging that they're his servants, but yet their hearts are still not right. And can I tell you? Can I tell you? When you get free from resentment, it doesn't mean that the other people have to because now you're free. And you can just love. And when people still want to be resentful to you, you can still love them. That's the power of getting free. They lied to cover this up, but but here, the story turns right here. Watch, verse 19 of chapter 50 and joseph said to them don't be afraid for am i in god's place see when you're resentful you're pretending to be god because you think you know it all you think you know people's hearts you think you knew their motives and you think that you're the one that can control it by what you do or don't do and how you treat them And Joseph says, am I in the place of God? We don't know everything. We sometimes want to play God and hope for their destruction. We want to play God and take revenge without the ability to know and fully understand people's hearts. You see, we know we've arrived at home plate when we come to Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result, here's the purpose, to keep many people alive. See, you can be resentful of abounding with purpose if you get through resentment. When we break free from resentment, we are resentful of abounding purpose. He knows his purpose is to help keep many alive. In verse 21, he tells them that he's going to provide and feed their little ones. And I can tell you this. When you come around the bases, you will see things like you've never seen them. You will have a new purpose concerning what you were resentful about. You will begin to see a new dream. I wonder this morning, do we need to get free from resentment so God can bring revival and purpose in our life? I wonder if somebody is stuck this morning between the bases, carrying resentment. It's so hard to get past it. I know it's so easy to make some progress, but then to go right back into what we progressed from. Let's go back to let's go back to base one just for a moment. The Bible says in Ephesians 4:31, it could not be clearer. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. How? The next verse. Be kind to one another. Compassionate. Watch. Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ forgave you. When did Christ forgive you? At your worst or at your best? How did he forgive you? When you were good with him or when you weren't? See, what if you're looking outward at what they have done, but the Holy Spirit is looking inward at what you need to do? So how do you do this? Resentment is really getting stuck in suffering and loss. That's what resentment is. Resentment is bad for the soul because, listen to me very carefully, resentment is bad for you because you become what you resent in others. And that's self-righteous. You see, they don't think or they don't even know that what they have done is wrong. They just believe that they're so right. So you begin to think that way too. You begin to think that you're justified in doing whatever you need to do to treat them this way because they're treating you that way, and you're becoming what you resent in other people. You're becoming self-righteous just like they are. So you begin to correct others because now you're right. So now my righteousness justifies how I'm treating people who were self-righteous. So to be resentful means that I retain my own self-righteousness. The more we talk about others who are self-righteous, the more we become self-righteous. So here's the practical way to get out. Don't wallow in others' self-righteousness and become self-righteous yourself. The only way you stay resentful is to continue to wallow in self-righteousness. Another super helpful thing is this. Some of us are resentful toward God and others because based on what God did or didn't allow or what others did or didn't do, we now believe that my future is gone and my dream is dead. And that's why we're holding on to it so hard. Here's the practical thing. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. John Maxwell once said it this way. I'm borrowing this for him. But listen to me. If you are battling resentment because a dream of yours got crushed, here's the practical illustration here. Listen to me. Have a funeral... And get a new dream. Grieve the loss of whatever it is that you grieve, you lost. Weep over it, mourn over it, have a funeral, call it what it is. It is dead, it is not coming back, it will never be the same. Grieve it, mourn it, feel it deeply in your soul. Grieve it. Go through the stages of grief deny that it's happening get angry because it did begin to think that if you just did this or said this it wouldn't have happened Uh, begin the process of depression the loss of motivation to do anything and finally you will come to the place of acceptance but listen to me you will never get free from resentment until you have a funeral for what once was you can't lead out of what you're stuck in You won't get past the funeral in grief until then you get a new dream, just like with Joseph. He grieved it all in prison. Then he was able to see a new dream. My family will bow down, not because I'm over them, but so that I can provide for them. You have to have a funeral for your resentment. You have to have a funeral for your dreams. And then you bury them. And then you just get with God and say, God, what is my new dream? What is next, Lord? What is for me? Because the God who lets things die brings new things to life. And if you don't bury resentment, you will bring it with you everywhere you go. Listen, some of you know my story. One of my daughters went through something I thought was unimaginable because I had a dream for my family and it was never supposed to work this way. So I had to bury my resentment and my dream. God's given me a new dream. God's given me such a more beautiful, complete dream. I would have never imagined how sweet the dream is. I'm free because now I have a new purpose. I get to help take care of some precious grandbabies that I would have never had. How good is God? So this morning as the team comes, I wonder this morning if you would process with me these thoughts. What is the Holy Spirit revealing to you about what you need to change and how you need to change instead of how others need to change? Is there resentment in your heart? What funeral do you need to have today? See what died in this process of resentment that I didn't really knew died or I haven't been willing to admit that died but I need to say it died. Maybe this afternoon you need to have a funeral and you need to engage in grief and mourning. Maybe today You need to have a funeral and you need to ask God to give you a new dream. Maybe this afternoon you need to have a funeral and maybe over the next couple of weeks you need to see to get with God and say, God, give me a new dream. And then listen, when God gives you the new dream, you'll find new purpose. And that new purpose will help you be resentful of abounding. Would you stand with me?